Good morning, family. Uh, welcome to church. I just want to, I didn't know the name of this small acoustic Sam. How do you call it? Ukulele. ukulele. Uh, would you like one, like a, a ukulele? <laughs> As the guys were playing, I was just thinking of how faithful God is. In terms of, I, I remember Rendani used to play bass and, uh, and he had some knowledge of how to play drums and uh, because there was no one to play drums he decided ah you know I'll polish my skills and it was just so great to see him play there it was good to see how how far the band has come and how far they are going Uh, so it was really amazing thank you Sam for your leadership and the team was really really great and uh, also as usual I didn't manage to watch the game the entire game last night Uh, I was able to watch the beginning and then get the score in the morning so if you need this course, you can talk to me afterward, because we don't have much time. We'll go straight into the Word. So I'm continuing with the series that uh, we started last week on the book of Matthew, and the series is called The Book of Matthew, The King and His Kingdom. Pastor Andrew last week gave us an overview of what really the book of Matthew is about what God wanted us to know, at least through the writing of Matthew, uh, from the book of Matthew. And so if you went here, please do get that podcast. I think it will bless your life. We had a great testimony. I think it was included in the, in the podcast from Johan on how God is touching lives in prisons, wow. how God is touching people that have really been uh, incarcerated, in a way, and uh, the people that perhaps we would not be able to speak to, but... God is reaching those people. So please take that podcast and listen to it. It's going to bless your life. And so I want to say a few things about Matthew because I, there are certain things I enjoy about the Bible. I try to be a critical of the veracity of Scripture. I, I try to go into different things. But I, there are certain things in Scripture that fascinate me. And some of them are Bible characters or the authors of different portions of scripture. And so today, we're going to look at this guy, Matthew, but before we do that, I need to pray. So we allow the Holy Spirit to come first. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here to bless us, uh, to make this word real to us, uh, to make this word a living word for us. Something we can use for a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, like Sam was singing, uh, Thursday, Friday, and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, Tax collectors in the days and the times of Jesus were people that were very much hated by the Jewish people. Although they weren't hated by everybody, but they were primarily hated by the Jewish people because of the practice of extracting or taking taxes from the Jewish guys. And so they were hated, but they were friends with the Romans because they were considered as collaborators of the Romans to take taxes from the cities that the Romans had captured and that were under their rulership. And so Matthew happens to be one of these officials who was uh, selected by the Romans to do that for them. And so the Jewish people didn't like him. I mean, if I were one of them, I wouldn't have liked him. Because for them to be in captivity meant that the Lord had forsaken them. 
Because they knew that if the Lord would arise, their enemies would be scattered. And so the fact that their enemy was leading and ruling over them was almost a, a, a representation of the fact that God had abandoned them. And so Matthew was one of the agent in a way that kept constantly reminding them of the fact that God had abandoned them because they had to pay taxes to their masters. And so they hated him. Some Jewish writings go as far as saying that tax collectors were excluded from certain practices in the synagogues and in the temples. That some of them were not, uh, were not even allowed to give money in the money boxes because their money was considered uh, dirty and unclean. And so this is the guy who is now beginning to write the book of Matthew because of the impact that Jesus has had in his own life. He has had an encounter with Jesus and Jesus who transcended the societal barriers to reach to this guy Matthew has now brought him into in his inner circle as one of his disciples and then Matthew has an opportunity to write about the account of Jesus to the people. But he's writing primarily to an audience that hated him. It was the Jewish people that he's primarily writing to. And what is he writing about? He's writing to try and prove to the Jewish people that through their own prophets, Jesus Christ was their king and their Messiah. And you can imagine just the pride of some of the Pharisees and the scribes that someone who was once a tax collector would be the one to write to them, to prove to them, who are supposed to be the custodians of the sanity of the scriptures, to prove to them that Jesus Christ is actually the person that they had been waiting for. And so he has this opportunity. And sometimes when I look at the lives of characters like Matthew, they, they humble me because they, they have no entitlement to their own righteousness except for the grace that was shown to them by God. Because outside of the grace of God, the person of Matthew, perhaps we would never have known about him because he would have just been an ordinary person. But when the life of Jesus touched him, his life was changed and he became another person. And so he has this opportunity to write. Another thing from the character of Matthew is that sometimes when, when you have been forgiven so much by God, when you know that you've done so many wrong things and when you know that your life has not been such an exemplary life when you know that in your own heart you you are lacking in some areas and yet God chooses to use you anyway you you just you lose that entitlement to your own righteousness you, you every good thing that flows from your life it, it really you, you feel like this is just the grace of God that has made you capable of doing such a thing and so Matthew is this guy and has an opportunity to write. And so he starts writing. And my topic today, I don't have many slides, so I don't mind changing this way. My topic today is the king's goodness. And I want us to understand from the book of Matthew how he displayed the king's goodness. And so we'll start with uh, chapter 1 of Matthew. Now, chapter 1 to, from verse 1 to verse 6. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of uh, Ezron, Ezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of uh, Aminadab, Aminadab the father of uh, Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. How boring was that? <laughs> you know, just reading father, 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 and if you're reading the Bible, that can be very boring. But here is a man who is making a case for Jesus Christ. He's explaining the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and he begins with some characters that he's mentioning in the book. To get to how Jesus Christ comes into this world to be able to save humanity. He begins with the character of Abraham. Now we won't go into all the characters because each character represents a story. Represents a story of God's redemption, God's covenant, and God's grace in their lives. And when you read the story of Abraham, it's a story of a pagan guy who had no knowledge of God at all. Yet when he had an encounter with God, God made a covenant with him. And that through him, nations of the earth will be blessed. And so, two women particularly in this story stood out for me that I thought we would be able to kind of uh, focus in on this morning. Amen. And so, one of them is Tamar and the second one is Rahab. They both have similar stories, although not very identical in nature, but they have similar stories because of God's grace and mercy that was shown to them. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Jacob. She married one of the sons of Judah. And when she was married to one of the sons of Judah, whose name was Er, and this guy died young. And so she was left a widow. And in the culture, the brother of her husband was supposed to marry her so that by him she could have children, so that she could share in the inheritance of the family. And so she speaks to the father. The father gives uh, the brother of her late husband for her to marry him. And so she married him. And this guy, by his own rebellion, refuses to have children by her. And God was angry with him. And this guy also died. And so she's left destitute, having lost two husbands. And she's by herself. Now, there was a younger brother who was very, very young at that age, and he couldn't marry her. And so she made a deal with the father that when this boy comes of age, he would marry her. And so the father of the, her late two husbands agreed that when the boy comes of age, he will marry her. But when the boy grew up, she started realizing that the father was dodging and, and, and reneging on his commitment to giving her this guy. And she was disappointed because she knew that uh, she has become part of this family and except through her children, she will not be able to share in the inheritance of the family. And she knew that she needed children by one of the guys in this family. And so the Bible says she disguised herself as a prostitute. And she timed the father, the, her father-in-law very well. Probably this guy, I think he loved prostitute because... I, <laughs> 
listen, for your daughter-in-law to disguise herself, she probably knows something about some of your activities. Like, this is what this guy likes, so I need to. But anyway, she disguises herself as a prostitute. And as the father-in-law is passing by, the Bible goes into great details of saying he didn't even have money to pay her. But he took her as his wife, PG. And, uh, and, and so, and she felt pregnant when he took her. The following day, he needed, because he left his coat behind because he couldn't pay her. So he said, hey, please keep this as a pledge. Tomorrow when I send money to pay you, you'll give me back my cloth. And so the, the father-in-law comes the next day, sends people. They couldn't find her until they realized that actually she had tricked him. And that's the story of Tamar. And the story of Rahab is a very common story that some of you may have heard before. A prostitute woman who was a pagan woman in Canaan who received the spies that Moses had sent, rather Joshua had sent. And she hosted them. And she, is it hosted? Host them? She was. She showed them hospitality. (laughs) And they stayed in her house and she helped them to escape. And as such, she made an agreement, a covenant with them that once they have taken the land, that they would show her mercy. And so Matthew is explaining the coming of Jesus. And he begins to share the stories of these two women to an audience that is first so patriarchal, so intolerant of prostitutes and women even. And, and he's trying to tell them not about stoning these women, which would have been justified. But he's telling them the story of the Messiah who's coming and he uses the stories of these two women. I'm going to ask two ladies to come up, if you don't mind. If you're looking good today, you're feeling great, you're feeling confident, just come up. Just two people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Goodwin. Oh. Can somebody take us a selfie? Well, you can't take us a selfie. See, I was tricking. You can't take us a, a selfie. is taken by us. But anyway. <laughs> this is a story that Matthew is telling the people to prove that Jesus Christ is king. And that is the Messiah. He begins with, you are Tamar just for today. (laughs) He begins with a story of a woman who is in pain. A woman who is destitute. A woman who perhaps needs validation because she's lost two husbands. She's in a position where she can't go back to her father's house, perhaps because the father may have died or given his estate away to his sons. And she needs a son because that's the only way she can become part of the inheritance. And she's crying out, but she's so destitute to the point. Imagine, imagine if a woman would go to disguising herself so that she can have a child and become part of the family so that she can inherit something from that family. We used to reach out to some prostitutes in, uh, in Rosettenville. There was a lady in our church um, 
who had a ministry of reaching out to prostitutes. And so I had an opportunity to converse with some of the prostitutes that had been rescued and put in a home. And none of them, none of their stories were about, man, I really wanted to do this. Like I was born to be a prostitute. Most of them had painful stories. They'll tell you how painful their stories were. And so it was not a fun activity for this woman to decide to discuss herself, to go with her father-in-law. It was because of her pain and her desperation that she needed to do that. And she's desperate. And then we have Rahab, who is this wonderful lady. And we don't know what made her become what she became. But what we know is that she was a prostitute. And this... (laughs) Where's Chris? All we know is that she was a prostitute. She was also a woman in pain. She had a family. The Bible doesn't say so much about her family except for she was used as a person to save her family. And she received these spies. I don't know for what reason initially, but I think she thought there were people that were going to give her business. And only to realize that they just, they just wanted a place to stay. And she probably was embarrassed. Hey, this is what you do. Sorry, we're not here for that. But just give us, give us a room where we can stay. And then the following day, we'll leave you alone. But we'll pay you nonetheless. And she was also a woman in pain. And so Matthew is telling the story of Jesus. And he's using two women in pain. And that through them, Jesus Christ came, the man who would eventually redeem the entire human race. And I was probably wondering how this Rahab and this Tamar would begin to wonder how their lives would ever amount to anything. The circumstances of our lives don't allow for us to become anything in life because it seems as though our fate is just determined, almost predetermined by our circumstances. And this is who we are. There's nowhere else we're going to go. They were desperate and they were wondering how, how do the pieces of our lives become this whole picture that God had for us? How do the, these pieces of the mistakes and the choices that I've made to get me to where I am become this wholesome person that God wanted me to become? And so I was reminded of in my days of growing up, I used to play wonderful games, but I, I never really got to play uh, puzzle. And uh, because, uh, you know, I, I played many games, including yesterday I beat Pastor Andrew because we were, we were playing some games together. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so don't play games with me because I'm very competitive. But when I lose, I keep quiet. And so I was reminded of how I thought this would help us understand. So I played Scrabble a lot, and I played chess as well in school. So I was very, very good until I started playing against computers, and I realized (laughs) I wasn't that good. Um, But I thought how fragmented these lives would be 
and how distorted and maybe disassembled they would be. But when we read scripture, the Bible doesn't give us a picture of our lives as a broken picture. It gives us a picture that we are whole together. And so I thought, when God spoke purpose to Rahab, because Rahab represents most of us who were living lives without God, who were alienated from the promises of God. And this woman represents, although she was in the household of God by virtue of a covenant with the husband that she was married to, but she was running the risk of not uh, partaking into the promises of God. And so in my representation today, I would say, well, this one looks like a Christian in the household of faith already. And this one looks like somebody who doesn't know Jesus, has never given her life to Jesus. She's just living her own life. And both of them are being used in the story to display the goodness of God. And so I think when God spoke purpose, probably God gave a picture like this one. It's like you look like a liar. You know, when you come to church and people begin to quote scriptures to you, like the Bible says you will always be above and never beneath. That you will always be the head and never the tail. And you will always win and never lose. That God does this and that and that. When you look at your life, the picture that God first spoke about to you of wholeness on the box versus the life you are living, they don't align. There's a misalignment. It seems as though maybe God lied when he said, this is who you are. When God said you will always be above and never be, but you've just been overlooked for a promotion. Like, like well, there's no alignment, God, between what you said and the life I'm experiencing. But God is holding this picture still in front of him and said, this is the person that I said you are. And, and this, this is the guy, this is the woman, this is the husband that I said, this is the wife that I said you are. But yet, when, when, you, when you look at your situation, it doesn't reflect what God said. And, and these women probably are experiencing that. And so, I believe life becomes like this. Toronto Reba is great. You can be singing a song whilst you're doing that. <laughs> there you go. And so I thought when, when you open the box with the picture of God, it feels as though your life looks something like this. You know when you play this game, there are pieces that look like they will never fit in anything. <laughs> like like this, this piece is from the pit of hell. This, this one looks like, <laughs> just like, looks like it's just, our lives sometimes look like this. And maybe one piece is a, well, failed marriage, it says there. Another piece is like a wrong career move. Another piece looks like uh, you keep falling in love with the wrong people. <laughs> Another piece looks like uh, you've lost so much passion in your marriage. It's like you're just living together with uh, maybe a colleague or a roommate. Another piece looks like uh, 
my business will never get to anywhere. And when you look at all these pieces in your life, and you look at the picture that God gave you, they don't align. And so this woman is probably looking at her life, that her nation is about to be overtaken by a foreign people. She's probably wondering what will happen to me, what will happen to my family. Maybe they will just stone me to death and I'm just going to die and disappear. Maybe, maybe, just, maybe I'll never get to have children and raise a family. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. And she's looking at each piece of her life and some of them just don't make sense to the person that God told her that she is. How many of us are feeling in our lives right now? You don't have to raise your hand. Like these women in the book of Matthew as he opens this chapter to explain the coming of Jesus Christ. And how Jesus used these women's stories to come forth to save humanity. And so this is what I believe that God does with our lives. When you read Romans 8, the Bible says that God makes all things work together for the good of them that love him. And them that accord according to his purpose. So this is what I think Matthew is trying to tell the people. Matthew is trying to tell the people that the fragmented lives of these women, that the pieces of their pain, the pieces that represents the mistakes of their past, the, the pieces that make them who they are today, that Jesus Christ is using those pieces to bestow on them this image that he had initially for their lives. And the Bible says that he uses your experience in life. He uses your brokenness. He uses your mistake to be able to bring all those pieces back and paint a picture that he had for your life from the beginning. And so Matthew is telling them that, hey guys, don't listen, don't move yet. Don't move because you're hearing the stories of this woman. Remember, at the end, Jesus is coming. And he, you see how he's telling them that Jesus made these women's stories feature in the story of redemption. And I believe if another book like a Bible was to be rewritten, that the story of your marriage, the story of your struggles, the story of your pain would feature somewhere in the redemptive book of God because that's what Jesus does. Because of his goodness, he takes all our fragmented parts in our lives and he makes them whole into the picture that he had for us initially. And so Matthew does that. We're going to go to chapter 2. Can we give these ladies a hand? Thank you very much. And so Matthew takes us into chapter 2, which is going to help us conclude our message for today. And chapter 2 is the the birth, the, the birth of Jesus Christ. I'll put all the scriptures up there so that we can dive in quickly. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, uh, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked where the one who has been born King of the Jews. Uh, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. 
And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted uh, by the Magi, said how you read it, he was furious and he gave them orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under. And in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Matthew now gets us into the birth of Jesus Christ. So he starts with a story of a humble family, Joseph and Mary, and how God showed them grace again. And so Jesus is born, the Bible says they see his star from far. Just a contrast here, family. Jesus was born in a manger because his family had to go to Nazareth to register him whilst they were there because they didn't have the technology. They didn't know how far Mary was. She was in labor and she had to give birth somewhere. And because there was no room at any of the hotels, she had to give birth in a manger. And here's the contrast. On one hand, Jesus Christ has been born in a manger. And on another hand, people have seen the star of Jesus shining. And they begin from the east. And his parents don't know that from the east, people are following and are coming to worship him. Sometimes I feel like in life, however far relegated you are by people, when the favor of God rises upon you, you will be noticed. That, that Jesus is here in Bethlehem, in this small place, in a manger. And yet, on another hand, some people are noticing and they're bringing wealth to come and worship him. And so they come and find his family. They present the gifts by the Magi to his family. And because Herod had heard that Jesus Christ, the king, was born, he was furious and he wanted him to be destroyed. And so he ordered that all the boys that would have been around the age of Jesus should be killed. And so they were all destroyed. And Joseph was told in a dream to run away. For a moment, pause and imagine yourself as Joseph. You've taken on this lady that you were planning to get married to. Whilst you're engaged to her, she tells you she's pregnant. And you say, how can you be pregnant? I'm engaged to you and I know we didn't do anything. But she says, well, I'm, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has an encounter with Joseph. And Joseph realizes that it was by the Holy Spirit that she was pregnant. I don't know how many of Joseph's family would have believed the story. <laughs> that it was true, you know, because they didn't meet Jesus. They didn't know if this was true or not. And then added to that, Joseph has to run from his entire family with this woman. And it's because of her that he has to run to Egypt and become refugees. Another contrast. How can a star that is shining and suddenly now it is buried in the refugee camps of Egypt. Someone who has just been worshipped a moment ago now has to run into the refugee camps of Egypt. And that's another contrast that I find in life. Because of adversity, they had to run. I need to end this and I want to read this story and then I'll preach a, a, for five minutes and we're going to finish. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. He said, get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because 
those who were trying to kill the child are dead. I feel like the Lord sent me here today to tell you this. Get up. I feel like because of adversity, you have been hiding your passions. You have been hiding your dreams. You have been hiding the things and the plans that God had placed on your heart because of the adversity that you experienced. Instead of keeping your child and raising the child, and that child can represent so many things for each of us. But because of adversity, you are to run and hide that child as a refugee in a land that was not their own. And God is saying to you this morning, it's time to get up. It's time to get up your passions. It's time to get up your dreams. It's time to get up the things that you, you dreamt when you were a kid. It's time to get up your plans. It's time to get up. And God, or an angel of the Lord said to Joseph, it's time for you to get up. As we conclude, imagine. Remember there was no Facebook in this time. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. So you would not even follow the news on, you know, 702 or wherever you follow your news from. Like there was a tweet that went out. Well, Herod is dead, guys. Well, we're sure you can come back. And all they had to go back on was a single word of God. And sometimes it takes us too long to get up because we are waiting for more than we should. And all they needed to hear was, God said, get up. And therefore, get up. Can we please stand to our feet? Can we get up? And for those of you who love to write points in the service, I thought I would give you three points so that you can go home and report that this was the message for today. Because the king is good. He gives me beauty for ashes. He provides me with grace to fulfill his purpose. And therefore, I can get up. And because of the goodness of God, we're here. And family, my heart is that, that you would understand that regardless of your mistakes, regardless of where you come from, that God can use you. That God can use your life for His purpose. However broken or fragmented you may be, that God would give you beauty for ashes. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus this morning, Lord, that you would make this message real to us. That wherever there was brokenness in our lives, that we would from this moment onward believe that we are now complete and we are whole in you. And Lord, where we had buried our dreams, our aspirations, the dreams of our families, of our marriages, that today by your word, we're going to get up and run again. We're going to get up and run again and start that business, start that organization, that family, and do the things that you have called us to do by your word in Jesus' name. Family, I want to give those 
who know so well that you are like Rahab. You are living life for yourself. You have no knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ or what he has done for you. Or perhaps you do, but yet you've never made a decision in your life to surrender your life to him and follow him for the rest of your life. And if that is you, I want to invite you to just wave at me. If that is you and you know today, you want to make this bold decision and say, hey, I want to surrender my life to Jesus and I want to follow him for the rest of my life. If that is you, just, just wave at me so I can pray with you. I'll wait for you for a little bit so you can gather your courage. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of us here today. Yeah, Lord, I pray that we would go out of here as changed people, changed by your goodness. In Jesus' name. Come on, family, let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus.